Hello and welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast about electronic music and all things synth. I'm Cara C and in this episode I'm talking to Chris Clark aka Clark. Signed at an early age to legendary British indie music label Warp Records, Clark has released something like 13 albums as well as a multitude of EPs and singles. He also makes music for film, TV and dance, as well as remixes for the likes of Depeche Mode, Max Richter and Massive Attack. Clark has just released Sustog on his own new label, which features vocalist Annika and Tom York, who was also the executive producer on the album. Clark takes his intuitive electronica to another level here, as this is the first album to fully focus on his voice. So, a taste of Clark's music to get us started. Here's an extract from a track on Sustog called Medicine, featuring Tom York. Clark, aka Clark, welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited to speak to you because, yes, you've got a lovely new album. Yeah, it was out last Friday, yeah. And what's how would you pronounce it? Sus Dog. Sus Dog, excellent, yes. Yeah, so we'll talk about that and unpack that a bit. Yeah. But also, I kind of know you from, I think, about 2000, your first album, and I think you were quite young at that point. So let's start off with, yeah, what were you up to? to be able to be released on Warp in 2001? Um, well, I guess I've been making uh, music since, well, like s- sort of electronic music since I was about 15. This kid at college had some equipment that I was sort of obsessed with working out how to use. Um, and I ended up like working to save up the money to buy old hardware samplers and a CS1X keyboard, which is not the best. But um, I just rinsed it and sort of worked out how to use it in combination with the, the sampler. And that became Clarence Park, I suppose. And most of that was made just before I went to university when I was about 19. And actually one of the tracks was on Body Riddle, like, six years later night knuckles but i I just was sending tapes to warp to my now manager greg eden and for some weird reason he sort of picked up on it i was quite persistent uh i think it's a nice way of putting it um so the the album was it was sort of back in the days of not really being able to over edit stuff and so it it's all just pretty much tracks recorded in two three hour sessions I, I didn't really keep my gear saved properly and just would write stuff really quickly and get it down on mini disc and tape and um and then that became yeah that became the album so it's pretty homespun i suppose and there's something about not having too much time or capacity to deliberate as well isn't there absolutely yeah that's sort of followed me i think in in the I 
I find it a very useful sort of pruning tool to to not get too lost in I mean I do multi-track but I mean the way I do things now is 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 sort of similar to how I did it back then but also not at all if that makes sense like I try and keep the essence of what I found fresh at that time which was a very direct way of working but I'm more sensible in that I kind of I, I will I've got always got multi-tracked options to, to like mix with but I'm very fond of just getting stuff down really quickly and like rendering to groups and and, and just condensing like masses of recording and then letting stuff fall away that isn't hitting me kind of thing which is sort of similar to how I made Clarence Park although there was like limited sample memory time I think it was something like two minutes on the EXS24 so I would just a few of the tracks are are, are like masters of tracks but recorded at 22k and then pitched down so that they're like so it's got it's definitely got a kind of gritty sound I guess yeah, so that was the gear of around 2000. So I know it's a long stretch to cover. How did your gear and therefore your processes kind of evolve? I had a Zoom FX, Clarence Park was a Zoom FX unit, a Yamaha CS1X and an Emu ESI32. And um, and the next thing I bought was like a DBX compressor and a Revox tape machine. And that was pretty much like empty the bones of you, body riddle and turning dragon um and i i bought an arp odyssey which i used quite a lot on both turning dragon and body riddle and and then guitars and an mpc came into the picture around 2006 and that was really fruitful although i didn't i haven't released much of that music but i mean it was so i know it sounds so simple now because you could probably just do this all on your iphone but just the thing of recording guitar to mpc felt amazing and i made and also live drums to mpc and just making drum loops you know when you're young you sort of feel like you're the first person ever to get into something like i remember discovering ligeti and and just going on about ligeti for i don't know how you say is it ligeti or ligeti but would just I was just making all of these granular drones that were completely atonal, but with sort of I was friends with James from Broadcast, and I used to I borrowed his drum kit and recorded that, and just made loads of these sort of abstract collages of me drumming with these massive granular digital drones that were just it was all just um like massively time stretched granular synthesis, but done really crudely on the ESI thirty two. You could just get like one sample and build a pad sound out of it and then you just put like a reverb tail on it that's about 40 seconds or something and and you just get these huge huge drones it was just so much fun but I didn't none of that was really intended to release but I, I just find that abstract realm of experimentation it's like such a good place to start to just experience ultimate freedom you're not thinking about making like a hit you're just sort of in this zone of just dabbling and it and it that that for me has been I I quite often just start there and then the songs come out come out of that um I suppose so what would you say were your influences when you did start out sort of Clarence Park time and obviously then once you became part of the Warp family that had its own evolution as well I mean probably like the Richard D James album was a massive influence I think that's a classic album um and then Black Dog Bites which actually I'd heard 
that was I heard that when I was like 13 or something. That was probably the first thing on Warp I heard. That was massive, a massive record. I still listen to that. And then Jeff Mills, because I was kind of into, I wasn't really into it, but th- there was a lot of <laughs> quite dodgy trance that was just so different to sort of the indie music that I at that time categorised as boring and just like traditional. So anything that wasn't that was kind of appealing. But I remember then getting Jeff Mills live in the liquid room and it was like, ah, oh, yeah, this is this is techno, isn't it? <laughs> it's completely different. It just sounded like just mad machine jazz and is I just fell in love with it. Especially live, I mean. Yeah, just amazing. Um, but, I mean, I was making drum patterns and knocking about with tapes and I had, I can't remember what it was, just like one of those not very good Yamaha pad drum machines would just make little beats on that from quite an early age but I didn't have any I couldn't capture it really properly I couldn't make full tracks out of it so because I just didn't have the gear or a computer um so yeah it was kind of Atari hardware and then like I remember the first PC was amazing because it had Bitcrusher on it which sounded extraordinary at the time Uh, that was I think I got that towards the end of Clarence Park and like hard disk recording was suddenly just seemed like the future and amazing. Whereas now it sort of seems like ancient, like an ancient technique or something. And how did you start to integrate using software? Yeah, uh, I think it was Logic. I think, oh, I can't remember which version. Body Riddle was Logic 4 or 5. And I, I, it wasn't very powerful. Like I couldn't, didn't have any good EQs really. Um and then the first sort of, yeah, using DSP and getting plugins getting better. I used to just use loads of plugins, and now I, I don't I don't really use many at all. I just I mainly just use um, EQs just surgically to cut stuff out, and I just try and get it right in the first stage of recording. I suppose, like I don't spend that long on EQ. Uh, anything I do is just is usually cutting. Which feels really amazing because you just, yeah, it just frees up loads of time, basically. I'm just quicker at getting riffs and colours that I want down from the hardware. And I just sort of know what they'll do. So I don't I don't sort of faff too much with that stuff, I suppose. And have you had hardware that stayed with you along the trajectory so far? Well, I got rid of the Zoom effects unit. I don't know why. And I recently, well, about two years ago, I bought that again because I just wanted it. it it's just got such a grotty reverb it's just it's kind of horrible but it just I just love it um and I've got I use it with I've got like a but a thermionic busted and I just love taking the top end off that and then boost there's a top lift as well so I'll, it's like a pool tech thing so I'll just take all the top end off and then boost it and then just have this like grotty reverb on the Prophet 6 and that sounds amazing. To my ears anyway, it, it's probably quite a peculiar thing to have a fetish for, but I like it. I mean, I quite like, I like that sort of caustic, peaky reverb. I, I know that now, yeah, like there's that Soothe plugin, which I use quite a lot, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit wary of it because for me, I don't know if there's some sort of... I don't know if you can objectively say that music... I mean, sure, if there's like a really nasty resonant peak, take it out. But 
this sort of thing of just it it can generate quite flat results and it is a fad like when i was remastering body riddle i decided to not really use it because this sound now that we have of like finessed smooth spotify friendly stuff without any peaks that that will be different in 20 years and it so you can't just sort of change a record to to keep up with whatever's in fashion at the moment it like i I listen to quite a lot of 60s 70s stuff where the guitars are really loud and panned and they're they're just like horrendously peaky but it's sort of it's got an identity and that's that's important as long as it's got character and it's not like uber painful i'm quite up for keeping some of that grit i think that's really interesting that you actually really only use eq yeah i mean i i mean i do i like i use decapitator loads but that that's just for a bit of character like not not i just use it tiny amounts and i've generally got quite a few open but i usually just use it to roll the bottom off and give make stuff a bit nice and saturated at the top end i I suppose i'm much more prudent than i used to be but you know all of this stuff i don't know if it you know i'm careful what i say i don't i'm much more interested in ideas than i am good eq uh, and it generally when you're mi- when I'm mixing, uh, my best mixes are just intuitive, and I'm not I'm not sort of labouring that hard. It all just sort of happens as it happens, and and generally I don't really um, change stuff that much. I mean, if if I'm hmm, it, I can go on. <laughs> like I like for example that. Shall I go on? <laughs> I've got a story about the like the. Give us an, at least one story. Yes, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. It's like it's it's a very um, it's very nerdy and circuitous. But like Dolgoth tape on the album was. I spent ages re-recording the synth on like posh synths, like a, on a Voyager. It's not that posh, but on a Voyager and a Cat and a Seal Orchestra, and the Prophet, and then I I kind of made made the kick bigger and I recorded all of this percussion like paper being scrunched but not in a not in a I'm using paper way just in a way that sounded like a shaker and but it it's so I sort of souped it up and it just it none I did I spent eight I spent about six months on it and ended up going for a much earlier version with just a few tweaks so I, I sort of deliberately went for the version that I think has more character and is just that was just captured like in a way that I would make something for Clarence Park I suppose um so yeah it's it, it, every track needs that kind of interrogation but you also need to be open to the idea that you captured something but producers hate that because there's this mentality that because I worked on it it must be good and that's just that's just something you need to let go of and 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 that's quite difficult for some people I think. So what about dynamic control then are you more of a layerer of sounds or are you more dynamic control? I don't use much compression at all anymore. I tend to just if I with vocals I've I've just got loads of automation on on different plugins just doing tiny amounts. I I find it a bit less dangerous. Um I mean it it sometimes it's I compress stuff through. I've got a Manly Verimute and an API two five hundred, and I use them a fair bit. But only, um, I mean, I quite often just work on my laptop downstairs, and then, and but and then 
do more hardware stuff up here, obviously. Um, yeah, limiting. Yeah, I recently I haven't used... I, I keep stuff really quiet and just get an open mix. Although Sustog isn't that. Sustog's quite juiced, but um, it's really... It feels really old now. It was finished a year ago, so I've sort of got a year's worth of new material, but mainly a lot of automation and then freeze, print, freeze, print, freeze, print, and, and just build it up through iterations. So do you tend to work solo or do you tend to collaborate with others in terms of production as much as composition? I love collaborating, um, but not really on production stuff. I'm too much of a control freak. I, I, don't, I don't really need it. When I was recording strings, we had them mixed and that was really nice. Um, that was for Lizzie's story and also for my album on DG. But I tend to... I, I, it's so baked into me to make everything from the ground up myself that I'd probably find it difficult unless it was a specific, maybe if it was like drums, I, I wouldn't feel the need to mix them myself. Although I did mix the drums on Sustog myself. But Richard Spaven's an amazing drummer and he he just delivered something really nice already and then I, I think I just sort of juiced it all through the API and some nice EQs. I've got an Avalon 2055, which is nice. So I think that that's um, that's basically that track through those bits of hardware. But I love collaborating. And where did you record those drums? Um, he recorded, he's got a really nice little room and he just recorded them there. Right. He recorded a load and I don't think that much of it is used on the album. There's some on Town Crank, but it's quite buried. <laughs> It's a bit token, but it just quite often it's just like just like a layered hi hat part. I don't tend to think of things like that though. Like I don't tend to think of oh it's a hi hat part. I tend to just think oh it's the upper mids, um, and that could be anything. It could be a synth, it could be a melody, could be a shaker, could be a ride, could just be hiss with some tremolo on it. I don't tend to. I don't know. I, that's also probably like a sound design background rather than being someone that just records acoustic instruments and parts. Mm. So I find that quite liberating. It doesn't have to be acoustic, you know, to generate the result you want at all. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah, so the instrumentation isn't as important as the sound or the colour that you're after. Not on some things. Like it is on it. It is on harmony and um, vocals and... Like that's everything, like phrasing and harmony and chords and rhythm. That, that, yeah, that's sort of at least 50% of it, I think. So let's talk about how you approached Sustog then, because I know that Tom York's been involved, hasn't he? Tom York was involved, yeah. We remixed each other, I think, in 2019 or might have, yeah. And I just sent him the track Ladder just for a bit of a laugh, just to see what... <laughs> just to sort of see if it caught him off guard. And he really liked it. And um, I sent him another track after that, which had this outro. And he just said, why don't you try 
putting that on in between ladder and then just going back to the intro and it sort of it was it almost worked and then I tweaked it a bit and it really worked and it was like oh yeah that's and so I just said do you fancy being exec producer on my next record kind of as a joke but he seemed really up for it so yeah it was and then it just was a really enjoyable fruitful period of about nine months of just constant emails well not that constant it was it was all very kind of precise and to the point but there's a long chain of just like a lot of it was basically him just saying don't touch this just leave it alone and maybe cut out this section like the first track Alyosha was originally sort of seven minutes long and had all of these vocal loops um it was just far too ambitious for its own good get a grip but again it was that thing because I'd worked on it I found it quite hard to let go of it Mm. Uh, and he just was like no just just cut that massive bit out put that there and then you're done and he was right and and that was really satisfying because that track had just so much in it that was extraneous to what it needed um uh yeah but then there were other there were other tracks where I sort of stuck to my guns and was just like no this this is the structure and he was very cool about that it it was you know it was it was all really respectful and just just so enjoyable I've never had that before on an album and I think I don't think I I think I'd be a bit leery of it if it was just without vocals but it's like it's Tom York so Mm -hmm. I was gonna listen to him brilliant and there's other vocalists involved as well isn't there um Annika yeah she's amazing we've actually been making stuff together since 2018 but none of it's seen the light of day yet apart from that track um that that's quite an old piece sus dog it's I think 2018 but she um yeah she just came up with this amazing sort of ending that that was one of those sort of stragglers that was it it was 80 percent done the most deliciously frustrating of percentages when it's that that zone of like it just needs something and she just delivered it and completely took me by surprise and then I I processed it through two space echoes um like live in one take and just did the delay by hand it's really satisfying doing that I know it's like an old trick but it feels it that I I think I spent about two afternoons just on her vocal part like really taking care of them and that uh, to me that that's the most satisfying part of making music when you're at that end and you're do the end of the track and you're just doing flourishes and it's really good fun There's going to be a live show as well. Yeah, I've never sung live before, but I've done like three shows now, and it, I, to be honest, I didn't. It felt pretty natural. I, I I'd rehearsed like loads for it, which was probably a good idea. <laughs> and but I was expecting for it to feel weirder than it did, 
and which was really good. I mean, it's it's like it's definitely different to the record, but I just kind of I've sort of given up caring a bit. <laughs> I don't mean caring about whether it's good or not, but just sort of this idea of it of the risk of it being the sort of jeopardy of it is really exciting to me. And you know, the the records out there is it if the live version it exceeds the record that's great if if it's different and people are like oh it doesn't sound like the record then well the record's out there so that's you know sort of there's not much to lose i don't think um and it you know it's not it's not like singing over everything because i'm still playing a lot of back catalog and yeah it's been really fun but i i use um loopers but hopefully not in a rubbish way they're, they're just more of a sort of background texture so I kind of keep my voice alive throughout the show but you can't necessarily tell it's my voice but it's kind of into threaded into bits of the other tracks yeah it's good fun wonderful and have you got a bit of a touring or um, getting out there with the album this summer autumn yeah I'm touring in America at the end of June and um, yeah show in Poland after London the week after on the 9th so yeah, there's definitely a few. It's so good to be doing it again because there was quite a long break after COVID, mm. um, which was a bit weird. Because I've sort of, it's a really good way of just like connecting outside the internet. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's vital. It feels really more vital than ever. Yeah, so I, I really enjoy it. It's it's like every show's sort of unrepeatable, really, which is good fun. Definitely. And um, that in the moment thing can't be beaten when it works well. It's sometimes a lottery, but when it works well, it just can't be beaten, can it? No, no, it's good. So how has your live show evolved then over the years? (laughs) I mean, the first live shows were chaos um, distilled. It was, I mean, (laughs) I, I just used to chop up tracks and put them on the MPC. And then like, there was definitely a few shows where I forgot what, pads were assigned to what bits quite early on I played keys live and that that always feels pretty natural but I like being able to go in different directions with it it's it's fun kind of gradually taking um elements out so that it's more more and more just completely live like the I opened the show in Istanbul just with a prophet six and singing and I I don't know what came over me because it was the first time I'd ever done it live but I just had this urge to see what it felt like, and it it, it was kind of all right. It the thing is, it's over so quickly as well. Like you sing a line, and then you're done, and you're on to the next. So you just got you just got to keep flowing with it, and and you just can't really think about it. Um, and it's just really exciting. I find it really exciting. And would you say that um, you're still again mainly using hardware? tools for live or are you also using laptop no it's a it's ableton with tracks stemmed out and then just like different sections of them can be played if if it's working really well i can like loop something longer if it's not working i don't have to do that and there's effects ends and then a li- a rhythm drum machine running alongside it and then um what else uh profit six but then a mixing desk with effects ends on that as well, like some delay pedals and reverbs and stuff, which is, I prefer that to doing it internally. I don't know, it just feels feels better, I suppose. I know analogue mixers are quite hard to get these days, but I prefer using them, I think. 
And has Sound on Sound accompanied you on your journey at all, musically speaking? <laughs> yeah, definitely. For I, re- I read it for like in-depth tech stuff, like microphone technique, and I like the interviews with producers. Pretty interesting. There was a good one with the guy that produced um, Monster, uh, the Kanye album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. That's I love the mixing on that record. I remember a good interview with the guy. It's it's really there's just so much grime on that album. It's incredible. But it doesn't doesn't get in the way and it doesn't feel contrived. It just yeah. So that was it, like I like the in-depth forensic analysis of tracks. It's interesting because everyone's got a different take on music really, and that's really nice. I because it chimes with my idea that it you know there's just so many ways to make music it's not it's not one way that you have to stick to um so that's interesting and it's great that it covers covers all of that with you know openly and curiously that's really good i think sometimes to have that reflection you you can sort of find out more about yourself can't you in your approach and you go oh yeah i don't do that oh no i don't do i do do that or i think it's good to have that reflection yeah i do quite often read them thinking i don't do that (laughs) and i'm not going (laughs) to But, you know, that's all part of it. Um, just, uh, you know, you need things, you need to define yourself against against certain practices as well. I, I, you know, it's not in a, not in a belligerent way, but sort of, I, I, yeah, I'm quite determined to, to not let my music be sort of diluted by techniques that I feel I should be using if you see what I mean mm. like um yeah I get it quite a lot with mics like I uh, if if I capture something on a phone mic that is good I'll use it uh I don't think oh that I have to capture that properly or you know I don't know it doesn't it's not so much led by tools they're like definitely the cart I suppose so I think you said that you basically try and show up quite often in the studio and produce a lot of music and compose a lot of music that might not actually get out in the world. Um, do you have any other projects alongside your solo composition? Yeah, I, I've scored a film recently which is called In Camera by a director called Nakash Khalid, who's amazing. Um, and that's finished, but I need to now finish the OST for that. Which, because I don't want it just to be a sort of series of cues, I want it to be a proper album, which is sometimes a bit of a sort of thankless task. It's like, no, 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 this is this is music. It is. <laughs> uh, but um, I do want you to listen to it as a whole. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that, and then there's um, oh, just just making my own stuff really, which is still my sort of main passion I suppose like constantly making tracks and trying to keep on top of it but I always just feel like I'm I've got a mountain of work ahead of me and that sort of spurs me on I suppose and that mountain of work is music inside of you that needs to come out yeah there just doesn't seem to be enough time to get it to finish it all um and it it doesn't really feel like work it just feels like a sort of a combination of obsession and I, I don't even it doesn't even feel disciplined really but it I suppose there's quite a few 
yeah like healthy habits I have with with making stuff like I tend to just play the piano first thing in the morning and just try and work out some notation stuff and that sets me up for the day but then yeah so it's kind of like a a broad church of um yeah different practices that are funneling towards this end goal but uh, I read a really interesting thing with a South African composer can't remember his name but he was talking about I mean it was in relation to composing but I think you can I see a complete parallel he was talking about not not getting bogged down in the architecture before you've you've made anything and and that's quite especially in the world of composing that's quite a big counterintuitive thing because the idea is that you you sort of conceive of your masterwork and you work rigorously to that goal without any without any distraction but his point was that you 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 just work with material and you like you build it up from the material you don't you don't need to you can have a kind of loose idea but those ideas can be they can imprison you a bit and so it's this sort of dance between having a for me it's generally like a color or a palette or a theme but i know that i'm going to get surprised and and there'll be zigzags but it's yeah that's what's so fun about albums cuz they're they're this kind of condensed document of your your journey of what you wanted to funnel it all down to and the album's like this ultra kind of re- reduced simulation of of that i suppose yeah it's funny it's like recording your you can always get closer like you can always get slightly closer to what you want and the 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 album that you just release is always the next thing is always a kind of comment on that and a it answers the questions that that album didn't answer kind of thing that's how i think of it yeah wow wonderful so next album is already in the pipeline for you i mean yeah it it's sort of hard to get people excited about it when the the one that I've just released is out and people are hearing that, but it's it's just that classic artist thing of like the the best thing you're working on is the thing you're working on now, and everything else is like you're really sort of flippant about it. Yeah, it's like, oh, right. sus dog, that's old hat. Like yeah, yeah, really yeah. I'm over that. That's gone to room one hundred and one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wonderful, excellent. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. It's really nice to hear a bit more about your process, and yeah, all the best with sus dog, both live and recorded versions. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks a lot for your time. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out the show notes for further information as well as links and details of other episodes in the Electronic Music series. And just before you go, let me point you to soundonsound.com forward slash podcast so you can check out what's on our other channels. This has been a Caro C production for Sound on Sound.